I'm Kate Daniels. We're meeting award-winning and New York Times bestselling author Kwame Alexander to learn about him and a new book that, while it is a young adult book, is really for all ages. A family read that's really destined to be a major saga that changes the way we think about pre-colonial Africa, the door of no return. Kwame has 35 books to his credit, and we're going to learn more about him as we also learn about his stories. Kwame Alexander, good morning. Thank you so, so greatly for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I am so grateful because... um, I'm I'm sad to say that I have not been familiar with your work, but certainly appreciate that The Door of No Return made its way to my hands and uh, having the opportunity to read this uh, wonderful epic tale. So you are obviously a prolific writer and, and really focused on children's books or on youth work, correct? You know, I started off my career writing love poems. And so I was writing for adults, and then those love poems got me married and, <laughs> and got me a family. And then I began writing books for my for my daughters. And so that's sort of the beginning of my children's literature, you know, foray. My wife had asked me to write a prayer poem for my daughter, and and I didn't exactly know how to get that done in a way that I felt good about it. So I started reading a lot of children's picture books to my daughter and, and, and my sensibilities, they, 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 they moved from writing love poems for, for, for adults to, to writing children's uh, poetry and books. That is a beautiful story in itself. Uh, maybe it'll make its way into its own picture book for children that will inspire them to find uh, this way of sharing their own thoughts and ideas. That's actually a great idea. Wow. I kind of like that. <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to that book when it uh, appears in a year or two or so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, from your lips, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, you know that's how things begin, right? You are the the professional. You are the writer. You know, just in conversation, thoughts appear to me. So, uh, you know, I don't know where that came from, but there it is for you. <laughs> hey, look, I believe that inspiration doesn't just come from inside. You have to be walking through life as a willing participant because inspiration can come from other people from books and you gotta you gotta be open to that some of my best books have come from other people and so i hear you i take it and i i accept it oh well i feel really blessed so there it is and you know just making a note to myself and to anyone listening, be watching for this book sometime in the in the future from Kwame Alexander. That will definitely be a treasure. So, Absolutely. So this is really interesting, too, to, to have heard in a nutshell, basically, uh, kind of the, your process as a writer, how you began with writing love poems and and how it's transi- transitioned to children's books. And while it seems 
you know, I can see the the poetic writing, but it also feels very natural. It, it so is there some method there of um, teaching or sharing with with kids, well, with adults as well, how this really how poetic writing, how being a poet really is uh, a very natural way to share ideas and, and maybe better than than writing prose? Well, I don't know if it's better. It's better for me. And it's how I've always communicated. My mother taught me poetry as a very young boy, as a three-year-old. I was reading Dr. Seuss and Lucille Clifton and, and, and Nikki Giovanni. And my mother just immersed me in poetry. And I've always, you know, loved it and been able to communicate with it mm-hmm. in a much more efficient and effective way to get my feelings, my thoughts, my ideas across. I think that poetry is beautiful because it's concise. It's rhythmic. It's figurative. It allows us to be able to talk about these weighty, heavy topics in such a few words. And it's not just about the words that are on the page, but the words that aren't there that allow us to take a spiritual journey. So I love being able to to, to use poetry as my vehicle to take readers on a journey um, in whatever story I'm telling. Well, it certainly does all of that in this new book, In the Door of No Return, where we have such an experience of life in this village with Kofi and and giving us kind of the foundation and the experience. Now, as you were saying, Kwame, that you uh, take all of this and it kind of, what, percolates over time. Uh, You had a a visit to Ghana. Now it's been a decade ago, 10 years ago, right? Yeah, my first visit was in 2012. And I spent a lot of time in this village in the eastern region of Ghana with these kids. I was reading my poetry to them, and I was getting to know them. And, and, and I, on my arrival in Ghana, sort of my entry point, I had thought I would talk with them about slavery, that that would be my connection. And, and it turns out that it was not, that our connection was music and mm-hmm. food and love and friendship and coconuts and all these sort of everyday things that we don't think about because we have this narrative of black history, this narrative of Africa that is very limited and very narrow. And I think me visiting Ghana 11 times over 10 years, I just was awakened to the fact that, you know, Africa, West Africa in particular, um, is 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 more than what I've been fed, and I got to know these people on a very human level, and I wanted to convey that in this story. And I, I'm sure you've gotten the feedback that you have been, you were successful, you are successful in conveying that, that we get that experience of these villages from uh, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, well... My hope is that that happened, you know, and that I certainly set out to write this story that would be a page turner, that would be engaging, that would change the narrative a little bit. That was my hope. 
And so if readers get that, I feel like I'm doing my job. If they come away sort of having a different viewpoint or perspective on, on, on the history of black people, I think that that's a win. I believe that it is imperative that we treat each other as human beings. And I think that's cliche, but it's cliche because it doesn't happen enough. And we talk about it a lot. And I believe that the only way we can begin to treat each other as human beings is that we have to know each other's story. In order to know it, you got to acknowledge it. In order to acknowledge it, you got to learn it. In order to learn it, you can't, you can't go back to 1860 where this story is set. You can't go back in the past except through the pages of a book. And I posit that it is books, it is storytelling, it is the literature that can help open up our world of, of imagination and possibility. Yes, yes, a thousand times. Yes, that stories do have a way of really capturing us and uh, touching us in a way that, uh, oh, well, experiences do too, but stories, because we're talking about what happened hundreds of years ago, to see a, it from a different angle is certainly going to give us that needed perspective and uh, taking this as as uh, ch- youth literature is really perfect because I think especially today, very much today, it, our youth are looking for this. They're they're looking to to learn and and to grapple with these issues that we're facing in our world and wanting to make it that having that connection and and seeing each other as as individuals and human beings i think more even more so than that kids are looking to have fun <laughs> they're looking to be entertained they're looking to be wild they're looking to be oh my goodness did you know you see what happened on page 302 they're looking to have page turners. They're looking to want to read. And I think that that is ultimately the first goal in creating a work of children's literature is how do you keep the young reader engaged? How do you inspire them? Now, when you figure that out, then you can get into the work of educating. Then you can figure out how to, how to slide in some messages, how to sneak in some lessons, some teachable moments. I like to think I do that a lot and hopefully i do it well entertainment education inspiration ultimately leads to empowerment Mm. that that's beautiful so we're going from this children's book there's going to be this beautiful kind of banner that you're going to make that has those phrases right on it that shows us that sequence that's beautiful you're full of ideas today. I got to write this down. This is class. Well, that was classic. And I, I don't know. I just, there you go. You know, I don't know where that came from. This is not scripted. So, you know, it's inspiration. I love it. <laughs> well, I am, I'm loving this I because I know that we need so much that is good and, uh, beneficial and life-changing in our world because, you know, having the entertainment for our kids, but giving them then that inspiration to be ignited and and be that instrument of change in our world that we need. Um, 
you're saying you hope you are it. I I have to believe that you are because here you are proving it with all the the writing that you're doing. The mind of an adult begins in the imagination of a child. If we want to create beautiful human beings, we got to start we got to start them early. We got to teach them how to be connected to each other. I posit that no better place to start that journey than through the pages of a book. So I take my job very serious. It's sacred work. And, I mean, certainly it's not – I don't compare it to teachers who are doing the work of nurturing and creating beautiful human beings. You know, but I like to think I'm supplementing that journey. I'm supplementing that, that work that teachers and parents are ultimately responsible for. And I take that job seriously. And we each have our role to play, true? So you are fulfilling your role. You're bringing that so that it makes uh, life for parents and for teachers a little bit easier because then they don't have to create the, the stories and the ideas. They say, let's read this book together. Now, isn't that also a, a, a way to encounter this, whether in a classroom or at home, or maybe in, you know, having this book in both places and reading together. Isn't that just a, a, a wonderful way for, for young minds to really be engaged and, and visualize the future? My mother read to me. We used, I used to love reading with her at bedtime. Um, my wife read, read to my daughter. They used to read Harry Potter every day, every night together. They read all, was it five, six, or seven books? Yeah. <laughs> they read all these books together over the course of three years. Um, that, that experience, bonding, is how you create community. It's how, it's, it's how you enhance love. It, it's how you share humanity. You, it's, like, it's like the fireside tales sitting around the fire and hearing the stories that I talk about in The Door No Return. So th these are things that sustain us as human beings, and they're so important. And, and so in, in the book, the, the stories, and, and we have the relationship of the family and the elders and the talk of the wisdom, and, and that is probably part of what's so really appealing is how the ideas are shared, the uh, the the phrases that are these real bits of wisdom that make the children think. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that that was intentional because as I was growing up, I would hear these proverbs and sayings from my grandparents and my father, stuff like you can't give. Uh, dishwater gives back no images, boy, or, or uh, you can't know what you don't know, boy. You know, so you hear, you heard all these things. So, I've always been interested in how do we take these, these this legacy of all of these these life lessons and and turn them into things that that kids can can relate to today. And so, one of of the, the proverbs that makes its way into the door of no return is um until the lions tell their side of the story, the tale of the hunt will always celebrate the hunter. And that does cause us to pause. Think about that. 
and and each time it's going to be a little different take on it. That that's so great for kids to have. The, well, it's great for adults too. Don't get me wrong. But f- to start at a young age to have the proverbs to to wrangle with. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I use sports as metaphors in my books. In the door of no return, swimming is the metaphor. Mm. Um, I've written about soccer and football and baseball, and then. My first novel was called The Crossover, and it was a it was a metaphor for, you know, for basketball. And one of my favorite quotes is dribble, fake, shoot, miss. Dribble, fake, shoot, miss. Dribble, fake, shoot, miss. Dribble, fake, shoot, swish. And when I read that to kids, they're always like, I get it. You got to keep shooting. You got to keep shooting. And I'm like, yeah, on the court and in life. Never give up. <laughs> Just a perfect, and yes, the, and then there's the the that repetition really begins to make it sink in and and take hold. And you can remember it, and you can you yes. can say it to yourself with your friends, and you can rap it, and you can sing it, and you can put it on your in your notebook. You know, it's it's one of those things that I think. You know, it, it, it showcases the, 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 the simple power of poetry. Right. Yes, that's, and that's why using poetry to write this really, really works ideally, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. It, it's, yeah, it does. Do, do you read poetry or do you write it? I I do not write it. I read it, but not that much. However, I must say that as I was reading The Door of No Return, I thought, this is really wonderful. I I love the way that this works. So who knows where this might transport me? I think you are going to become a poetry lover, my friend. I, I see it. I see... I see that for you. <laughs> that I accept it. I embrace that. All right. And here's who, I, here's who I want you to start with. I want you to start with Pablo Neruda. Read some of his love poems. I want you to read some Mary Oliver. Yeah, start there. I think those might be good places for you if you, haven't, if you have not already read them. I have not. So, okay. There's my uh, wonderful assignments. And anybody else, <laughs> anyone else listening who wants to maybe take this journey as well, uh, can can follow along by starting with those two two writers as well as your own. We can look to your early writing and the love poetry. Well, you know what? Some of that stuff I'm a little embarrassed by. Do not Google it. <laughs> promise me. But I will say this. I have a memoir that's being published. It's a memoir, and it's love poems and letters and remembrances and recipes, and it comes out in June. It's called Why Fathers Cry at Night. And so I would say get that book when it comes out because it's all about me teaching my daughters everything I've learned about love, which is absolutely nothing. I, the title is absolutely beautiful. Why Fathers oh, Cry. 
Thank you. Right? Why fathers cry at night. It's so captivating. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my amazing editor, Judy Klein. She, 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 she pulled that from a piece that I had written, and I think it aptly describes what the book's about, for sure. Hmm. Well, we shall look forward to it. And if we're at all lucky, we may even get a chance to have a conversation right here about that new book, if we're lucky. Oh, that would be lovely. That, that would be lovely. That would be. But let's get back, though, to talking about The Door of No Return. So the seeds of this book really began about uh, 10 years ago on your first trip to Ghana. Is that right? Absolutely. It began yeah. sitting under a tree and talking to some some men um, about the things that mattered to them and to me. And I thought that we were going to be talking about one thing, and we ended up talking about another. And it, it just it, it it awakened me to the notion that you know these folks who live in on the other side of the world in this country uh, in on a continent where my ancestors were stolen from, they live, laugh dance, hope, dream, play, cry, and die just like everybody else. And so I just was hip. I got hip. That's like a 70s term. I, I don't know if you know what that means. <laughs> but I got hip. <laughs> I got hip to the sort of the normalcy of their lives. And I wanted to capture that in this book. And... I'm sh it, whoever reads when you read I shouldn't say whoever does whenever you read this book you will find that too that we are immersed into this village into into this time and and get that feeling so you were able to capture that but it, it took time and you said it, what also struck me is that you you went with, with some ideas but you were also open to hearing what they had to share and to really ex what accepting and integrating that so that the story could really be told yeah 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 for real i mean this journey this journey that i've been on with this book it's it's been 12 years since i started thinking about it you know and a lot of my process involves thinking before i can even put pen to paper, I have to sort of know the beginning and the end and have some modicum of understanding of where I'm headed. And again, I think, as you mentioned, this, this, this process began in 2012, but, but I didn't put words down on paper until 2000, um, maybe 2019 or 2020. Mm. Um, and of course the book just came out. So, so, so it's it's I've I've lived with this book, and one of the one of the one of the joys of this conversation is that you I'm just enjoying talking to you and getting into this, and of course you ask questions and I want to answer the question I thought I heard. So if I never if I don't answer the question you want answered, just let me know because I can go off on a tangent. <laughs> No, this is, to me, this is perfect. I, I I think similarly, I have no preconceived ideas. And then 
everything is like this treasure and inspires another idea. So no, this just like the book speaking with you is is definitely a delight and just so uh, provides so many insights and also just new awarenesses and 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 the idea of um, you know finding these adventures and going on a journey which which you did in going to Ghana. And it wasn't just a one-time thing because you said you've been back 11 times. Yeah, yeah, and fell in love with the place. And and I always felt like this is my, this is where my people are from. You know, black people in America um, don't have the luxury of knowing our ancestry. Mm-hmm. We We pretty much know the continent and we know the region, but we don't know the place. And if you ask a non-black person in America, they can, for the most part, tell you where their ancestry is from. Germany, Russia, England, China, Korea. So, you know, I always sort of imagine that my people are from Ghana. I've been, like I said, 11 times. And so it was my hope that that's where they were from. Between me and you, I found out that my family was not from Ghana. So it, it was, <laughs> um, and it turns out that my mother's 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 mother, my third great-grandmother, was from a place called Sierra Leone, which is near Ghana. Mm-hmm. It's in West Africa. So um, now my goal will be to find out where in that country her people are from. And so that's an, another journey, yet you have really created this connection. So it's like your adopted country, your adopted family that you have created there. And that's cool. Yeah. That's all beautiful. Um, but as you know, when you are adopted, there is a piece of you, a part of you, that craves to know mm. who your birth parents were. Yeah, you know. Yes, and and there's a reason for that because that there there are there is a foundation, there is a root, there is a a source, you know, and so you want to return to that source. It's important, and it helps in you developing and sustaining your identity. If you want to go, you know, you cannot, you know, move forward in your future without having some, you know, understanding of your past. And so I want to know it all. Wow. Yes, of course, that makes just such complete sense. And and knowing that, because I think that is true, but maybe many of us don't acknowledge that, and therefore we we walk around lost or frustrated or feeling somewhat empty. But to identify that and to seek it really provides the important answers for our life. That's it. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. It, it provides some of those important answers that we need. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know... 
we could just talk, <laughs> go on tangents and have great conversations. However, our time is limited, this being radio and all that sort of thing. Uh, so I just am so grateful that I've been given this time to speak with you, Kwame Alexander, that we at least touched on the door of no return, hopefully enough that people will say, hey, I need to get out and get my own copy of that book and read it and uh, have this greater insight and understanding of Let's mention your website, too. KwameAlexander.com, and you can find me on IG and Twitter and Facebook, at Kwame Alexander. Definitely stay in touch, y'all. I really appreciate it. And you know, one way to stay in touch, one last thing, important thing, you're going to be in Seattle Friday, November 4th at Elliott Bay Books, and we have an opportunity to see you and hear you in person. That's right. That's, yes. So That's great right. stuff. I will be there. I will be there Friday, November fourth at seven o'clock. I can't wait. Well, we look forward to seeing you. Thank you for taking us on this wonderful journey. Be well. And I have found out more specifically that this book event with Kwame Alexander will be actually held at Hugo House, which is at sixteen thirty four Eleventh Avenue in Seattle. And you can find more details if you need at Elliott Bay Book Company's website. And I hope we'll see you there.